welcome Travis as he comes now. That'd be great. Very good. Very good. Great to be with you tonight, sharing from God's Word. Um, I don't know if you uh, resonate with these lyrics. I wanted to read these lyrics to you uh, from an old song. You should know it. Um, and I don't know if you resonate with these, but it says, Come gather round, people, wherever you roam, and admit that the waters around you have grown, and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to you is worth saving, and you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are changing. Bit of an old one. I don't know if you resonate with that feeling at all as you look around the world today, the times, you cannot keep up with what is new, what is in, what is happening, what is trending. Um, You would think that uh, me in my late 20s being the youth pastor would be able to keep up with the trends, the, um, you know, the TikToks. If you don't know what TikTok is, bless you, bless you, honestly. Just don't even ask. The fashion trends, the, the latest, the social media things, most of the time I feel like I'm sinking like a stone, to be honest. Um, and I've started to accept, I, I think, that sometimes um, I do not get what is in and I do not get what is trending, and that's okay. I've started to accept this because I've realised that if I have to ask what the trend is, usually I don't want to know in the end anyway. Usually I realise I shouldn't have asked. I don't actually want to know about that. (laughs) You know, I had my time 15 years ago. I remember uh, when words like lol and ruffle and YOLO had come in. I was at my peak. When Facebook and Instagram was taking off, MySpace, Bebo, all these things. You remember planking? How good was planking? You know, I can get around planking. I get that. Simple, easy. Hashtags, I can get around that as well. But I remember my parents just scoffing at these things. What is this? What is, what is Facebook? I'll never have Facebook. Of course, you know, times have changed. It's, it's just completely parents on Facebook exclusively, it feels. <laughs> but my parents just scoffing at these things. You know, I don't get it. What, are you, what is this all about? And me being like, oh, how can you not understand what, you know, how do you not get it? How can you not understand I look back now and I go, oh, I totally get it. I totally understand why my parents didn't get it. Grandpa Simpson said it best. He said, I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now, what I'm with isn't it anymore, and what's it seems weird and scary, and it will happen to you. It does, it happens, it catches up. One of the things, um, one of these sort of new crazes, the things that's changed is the rise of social media influences. I don't know if you've seen this. You surely have if you're, if you're on social media. If you're not on social media, again, bless you. Keep it up. That's incredible. But um, an influencer for someone who, uh, for, for those who don't know, is someone who's proficient at attracting and engaging followers with their social media presence. Usually it's to, um, in order to attract business deals and make a bit of a career out of um, advertising and things and so forth. Now, influences in marketing isn't a new thing. It's been around for, for, for decades, you know, tying a celebrity to an endorsement, um, to endorse a product has been around for ages. You think Nespresso, you think George Clooney, or, you know, so forth and so forth. But the thing about social media influences is that anyone can become one and anyone has access to become one. 
right? Um, there's such an increase to the access to social media that um, the industry for a social media influencer was valued last year at $13.8 billion. Huge industry. There's influences for fashion, there's gaming, there's you know pregnancy, motherhood, there's um, food, there's all sorts. And honestly, you look at these some of these people, these influencers, and you're like, I don't even get, I don't get what, maybe it's just my age again, I don't know. You're like, I don't get why you'd follow, but they have these huge followings. And the thing with this, it's easy to understand, the thing with this is that the more um, followers that someone has, the more influence they have, the more authority and the more power that they have as well. And uh, there's been so many studies done on this, but one of the studies that was done that I read about was that um, when a, a follower um, fulfills their need for uh, relatedness and comp- competence as a person, if, they, if that need is fulfilled in an influencer that they follow, they can actually develop a strong, intense attachment to that influencer. Now, this makes sense because the influencer's aim is to um, sell a product or sell a, an, an idea or an ideology or something. And if this intense attachment occurs, then, then a follower sees the influencer and whatever the influencer does, they do themselves. I.e., an influencer is very good at influencing. It makes sense, right? For those on social media, especially those um, young people who, who are spending so much time on social media... Um, this, you can see this is particularly um, problematic because there is an enormous amount of power and authority in, in these people who don't have to prove any credibility, don't have to have any um, you know, backing behind them. And it's easy to see that this uh, power and authority, when abused, is hugely, hugely detrimental. Now, in saying that, Jesus was an influencer. He wasn't a social media influencer. Uh, but he was an influencer, and he is commonly often referred to as being the biggest influencer of history ever. Now, I'm saying this right, I know, but he was the goat of influencing, right? Goat, if you didn't know, means greatest of all time. That's an easy one. I can understand that one, so that's fine. Jesus is the goat of influencing. 2,000 years after his death, about one-third of the world call themselves his followers, And if you look at the life of Jesus, it is actually incredibly hard to believe in human measures how this influence came about. As one scholar puts it, Jesus was raised in humble Jewish surroundings in Roman-controlled Judea and Galilee. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his birthplace. He had a small group of simple followers and he was killed for violating the religious laws of his own people. He never received political power. He never raised an army. He never conquered territory. By historical standards, Jesus didn't cut it as an influential figure in political, economic, or military power. It would seem, this scholar says, that the historical account of Jesus and any longevity, any long-lasting historical influence should have ended at his death. It should have stopped, but it didn't. We are in a room, we are in a church singing songs, we are worshiping Jesus 2,000 years after his death. The scholar says, we know that something happened 
Something caused his scattered followers to reconnect, re-engage, and start to spread the word about Jesus again. Within a couple of months, there were thousands in and around Jerusalem that became his disciples. Within a couple of centuries, there were hundreds of thousands in the Mediterranean region that would call themselves Christians or Jesus followers. In 325 AD, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Emperor Constantine, and within 500 years, Greek temples to pagan gods were being converted to Christian churches all over the Roman world. That is baffling to the secular historian, to the secular sociologist. That is baffling. How does that happen? How could one man with a group of 12 change the world so dramatically? Was it his words? Was it his moral lessons? Was he a, just an incredible moral teacher? Right place, right time. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about being a good person and loving your neighbor. We can all get on with that. We can all take that on. Was that it? Well, we know lots of people in, in history have said some profound stuff. Lots of people say good stuff all the time. We don't go and, 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 and start a, they don't start a movement that takes over the world 2,000 years later. Was it the fact that he was crucified unjustly? Was it the fact that he was killed for his beliefs? And that, you know, people start going, well, he must have really believed what he was saying. We'll go, we'll go follow him. Well, unfortunately, lots of people have died in history, throughout history, for their beliefs, have died for their faith, have died for political views. And still, the revolution hasn't taken place as it has with Jesus. There must be something different about Jesus. There must be, there has to be something different. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has a, has, says a lot of I am statements. He has a lot of statements that, that tell us about himself. And this is one, this is a profound I am statement. This is from John 6, 35 to 40. Jesus says these words. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up the last day. Incredible claim, incredible from Jesus. And we see here, as we do throughout the Scriptures, that the reason for Jesus' influence is, is not just that he was a good teacher, that he said things well, that he had some good ideas. It is that he is the giver and sustainer of life itself. He has been sent by the Father to accomplish his purposes. All power and authority of Jesus comes from God the Father. In other words, the very Spirit of God is at work in Jesus. His power, it doesn't come from within this world. It's not of this world. It is in fact outside of it. It is God's power that is, that is empowering Jesus, that is allowing him to do the things that he does in Scripture. It's God's power which is unmatchable. 
It's God's power which is unreplicable. It's God's power which is unstoppable. We know this as as Christians, as Christ followers, there is no other explanation as to why the gospel has spread so rapidly across people groups, across geography, across time. It is not because Jesus was just a good moral teacher. It is because Jesus is Lord of all. And not only that, but Jesus calls for his followers to harness this very power themselves. This is, this is baffling for us. This very power that he has, he gives to his followers to harness themselves, to go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark 28, it says that, to love those who, just as, as Christ loved us in John 15. We, as followers of Christ, are called to be influencers for His kingdom. We are commanded to this. We are given this job, this mission. Go and do this. We are commanded, in fact. It is not an optional thing. It is an imperative. As Twig said, if you haven't listened to Dale Stevenson's sermon this morning, um, Go home and make sure you do that. In fact, if you are watching online, you have my full permission, pause this sermon, go back, scroll down, go to that one. If you want, you can come back to this, but just start there. If you're listening to the podcast as well, just stop it and and go to the other one. We are called to be influencers for his kingdom, to make disciples, to love others as he has loved us, to harness his power to do his will. We're not to live in Christian bubbles. And we're not to live as buckets just being filled and then that's it. We are to be conduits. I love that analogy that he gives. Conduits that the Spirit of God flows through and out to others around us. There's this tension with that as as you receive that. There's a tension, uh, I know, in receiving that though, isn't there? There's a feeling we want to skirt around this a little bit. We want to, we want to soften this a little bit. We want to uh, make this not seem as scary and as, and as hard. At the heart of the issue, though, I think if we, can, we can come up with multiple ways to get around this and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus, what Jesus actually meant, or if you look at the original translation, blah, 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 we can do all that. But if we get to the heart of it, It's not that we don't think that Jesus' imperative is true. It's not that we think that Jesus was making it up when, um, when he said, go and make disciples. We think it's true. But we don't think we can do it. Or even more so, we think God can do it, yep. But we don't think he can do it through us. He can do it through someone else, but he can't do it through me. When I um, left school, I worked a few months as a waiter, if you can really call it that. I don't know if I ever fully got to becoming an actual waiter. I was at a very busy restaurant, and um, one of the jobs I had to do was carry drinks on those black circular trays out to customers. Now, I could not carry a drink. This is a bit of a skill of mine. Could not carry a drink without spilling it. Couldn't do it. It was just a given. It wasn't a matter of like, if I was going to spill it, it was a matter of how much. Would I have to take the drink back to be refilled? Um, 
the first sip or two of that drink always to the floor, just straight to the floor, on my feet sometimes. It was a bit of like a, a liquid tax, I would think of it, for the customer. Many times it would go onto the customer as I was giving them their drink and they got their tax back, you know? So there's this, it was just a common thing that would happen when I delivered these drinks. The worst of them was these iced lattes that were in like a tall um, glass, skinny um, uh, stem of the glass. And they were just, they were just nightmares. And I can still see, I actually get nervous when we have to lift up the communion to um, up here with the drink because I just get you know, flashbacks, you know, to the iced lattes. I can still feel this fear in the pit of my stomach. Um, you know, the person put the black tray up and then I remember the day, not one but two ice lattes went up and I was like, oh my goodness. And the bell dings. And what I used to do was I thought, if I can't hear the bell, I'm not, I'm not, I, don't have to go and, I don't have to go and deliver it. Like, so I just make myself so busy, and just, I don't know, just basically run out to check on some customers or whatever. And the, the bell would ding and I would just be nowhere to see, be seen. Because I went, I can't do that. Someone else can do it better than me. It wasn't though that I, I, it wasn't that I didn't know that I had to do it. I knew what I had to do. I knew how to do my job and it was to carry that tray. And in fact, I actually wanted to do my job well. I really wanted to succeed at this. But deep down, the fear that I would not do it right overtook me every time. And some of us feel like this when we hear the call to go and make disciples. Some of us feel like this when we hear the call to love others as Jesus has loved us. We worry about, do we have the authority? Do we have the right to speak into others' lives? We worry we'll say the wrong thing. We worry that we don't have all the answers. We haven't been to Bible college. We haven't read the right material. We're not up to date. We don't know our Bibles as well as we should. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? What if I stuff it up? What if I make things worse? We worry we don't have enough life experience. Who am I to, who am I to do this? I'm just, you know, I've, I've had a crazy life. I've had a privileged life. I can't do it. Or we worry we're not there yet. We don't have the position. We don't have the badge. We can't go in. We can't actually do these things. And we worry that someone will do it better than us. I might be able to invite someone. I might be able to invite them to church. I'll bring them to a pastor where they can hear because the pastor's meant to be good at that. I'll bring them to them and, you know. But I can't, I can't disciple someone. That's that fear. That's that voice that says that. And we don't take part. We leave it, Jesus' greatest command, we take a pass on because we don't think we can do it. We believe in this lie that it's actually about our power in that moment. And the truth, what I want to tell you that scripture is, is screaming out at us, that Jesus harped on about was that it is not about your power, it is not about my power, it is about God's power in and through us. Let me read just a bunch of scripture to, to um, solidify this for us. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I know Australia feels far away, but we are surely in the ends of the earth somewhere, right? 
Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Romans 8.11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. And last one, Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power that you have is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Does any of that sound like it is up to us? Does any of that sound like we don't have all that we need to accomplish what Jesus has set out for us? By no means. Paul is praying that Christians, you and I, might realise that the power that is ours in Christ, it is the same power by which God raised Christ from the dead. It is a resurrection power that is at work within us in this very moment for those that love and serve Jesus. There's an extraordinary power shift that takes place uh, the moment we accept Christ as our Lord. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's not this far off thing, this, this far away thing, metaphorical, um, yeah, abstract thing. It is, it is an instantaneous change that happens in our lives. It is a literal power shift in us. The Spirit of God gives us a new power and gives us new authority in our lives. I get though that, this, um, that we can take issue with this because it feels a little bit proud, maybe. Maybe it feels a little bit egotistical, like a bit um, kind of high and mighty. Maybe we hear stories of abuse of power and authority in, in, the, in the media, in our spheres, in our lives, and we just, we are so... We are so not for that. We want to step away from any form of power, any form of authority. We want to push that away because we don't want to be swept up in that. The church has unfortunately been at the centre of power abuse well more than it ever should have. And there's this deep mistrust for this, the words power and authority in church. We just don't like it. They don't, we, it shouldn't be there. 1 Peter 5, 1-3 warns about this. Wants for church leaders, says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It is so clear that this is not at the heart of, of, of power and authority in the church. To be domineering, to be to, for gain, to, to be manipulative. But those stories of shameful gain have clouded our concept of power, the, the, the power and authority of the Spirit in our lives. They've clouded it. In a society which prides itself on equity and inclusion and, and justice, we are pushing away, we're becoming disillusioned with authority and power and we're saying, it's, it's, it's too proud, I can't do that, I shouldn't do that. Morally, I shouldn't do that. Scripture, though, tells us that this power and authority of the Holy Spirit is not that in which the world would, would, would have it. This is not power in the worldly sense. 
It is not a power to claim lordship over others. It is not there for personal gain. You know, never once, if you look through the scriptures, never once did Jesus use his power and authority for material gain, for personal gain or financial gain, or for glory for himself. Philippians 2.6 says this, Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be seized, but instead emptied himself to the point of death. This word seized, it appears once in the New Testament. It's translated as, as seized and as snatched and as grasped. And it's, it's reflecting Jesus' attitude towards his power, that he didn't see it as something to be taken for himself, to build, uh, to make a name for himself and to, to make others bow down to him, to, to build an army. He didn't, he didn't see it as power for those purposes. Instead, it was power purpose so that he may be able to lay his life down. Isn't that incredible? What a a switch that is. That Jesus only ever uses his authority and service, his authority and power in service and love of others. Incredible. So we tonight, we in this moment do not have resurrection power so that we might reign over others, but instead so that we might be like Jesus and lay our lives down for others and serve others, so that we would love others. It's so easy to, to get, to get uh, swept up here and go, um, you know, I have this, I'm, I'm a Christian, there's new, newfound power and um, that's great and great, that's all, you know, life sorted. I can just kind of lock myself away and just keep receiving and and that's it, amazing. And we forget, we ignore this imperative that Jesus gives. And we take this this resurrection power and we, we, we change it, we manipulate it, we change it for just ourselves. But let me read these scriptures to you that talk about the true intent, the true purpose of this resurrection power. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Colossians 1, 10 to 11, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 to 8, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. If you stop there, you go, that's epic. That's great. That's amazing. You know, how good. And um, that sounds great for me. Yep. The next line, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. To serve, to endure, to love. This is not language of worldly triumphalism. This is not language of worldly victory, but it is language of resurrection power. As Tim Chester says, it is power to be weak. It is power to endure. It is power to suffer. And so there is this call over us. There is a call over everyone who's, who who says they're a Jesus follower. And that call is not to go and become a CEO, go and become a 
a pastor, go and become a connect group leader, go and um, be of a certain age, be of a certain intellect um, before you can have influence. The call is to walk in step with the Spirit, to take part in the mission of God that is right in front of you. You've been placed uniquely. We, we harp on about this, but it is so true. You've been placed uniquely where you are because God is doing a work there and you need to be involved. You need to carry the message of Christ in your spheres, in your friendship group, in your workplace. You are there for a reason. Nothing is by chance with God. Take part in the mission of God. Dale would put it, the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. That is what it's all about. That is what Jesus is empowering in this moment. I want to just finish um, this as the team come up. I want to read you this story from, um, from Streetlight Ministry. And Streetlight Ministry is incredible. They are just um, a group of people who just simply and consistently show up and provide food for those in need, and they just make disciples as the Spirit leads them. They just share the good news. And uh, David from Streetlight uh, writes this email. This is after a, a night where they've gone into the, the park in the city, I believe, and, and have, and have um, you know, done their, their usual program and ministry time there. David writes this, The most amazing story from last night is from a young woman who was going through a particularly hard time. And she came to the prayer table for prayer where we prayed for her with her son. She said after that she really need God in her life. Now the amazing part is about six months ago we had a cross up in the park and people were putting their sins at the base of it. That night was the woman's first night six months ago. And Ben from our team spoke to her and she was so against what we were doing. She was calling us a cult. But after months of just loving her and supporting her in her trials... Last night, she was able to receive Christ in, in her heart. As we prayed for Jesus to be with her and her son, they both walked away feeling that they were not alone in this. Praise God for the love of the body here, he writes. It takes us all working as one to show God's love. I love that humility from David. He, said, he adds this as well. As the needs continue to grow, um, um, God continues to shine his light in the darkness that we can still continue to follow him into that park to bless our community. I cannot express my thanks enough for Aspley and the city now that the number we are reaching in both places to show the love of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So, so incredible. David and his team would not hesitate for a moment to know themselves as ordinary people. But they would also not hesitate to know that they carry the extraordinary power inside them. They carry the resurrection power of Christ inside them. Their ordinariness though, it doesn't deter them from taking part in the mission of God. That would be a kind of like a false humility. It actually spurs them on. It propels them to take part in what God is doing. It propels them to rely wholeheartedly on the resurrection power that is within them. It, re- it, it propels them into recognising that they cannot do it, but Christ can do it in them. And as they do that, the gospel goes forward. God is doing a work. They just simply, they're available. And they just watch as these people come to know Christ, come to know joy, come to know lightness, 
chains are broken, all these incredible things that happen when we, when we come into relationship with Christ. And it's because, not because of their power, it's because of the, the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power in them. So as we, as we come to a close, as we pray and as we worship, just spend a few moments just thinking about who, who, is, who around me is in need of discipling? Who, who doesn't know Jesus that I can just go and disciple, that I can just go and read the Bible with? Dale talks about that. There's a bit of a training coming up to look into this a bit more, but it's simple. Who is someone I can love that's in my vicinity that, that needs it? And it's not about, oh, what if, what, what if, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? Or what if I don't get it right? It is, it's not about that. Forget about that. That's, don't rely on yourself. Rely on the re- resurrection power that is within you and see what God can do. Let me pray for us. God, I pray you bring to mind those in our lives, those in our circles that are in desperate need of you. And Lord, I pray as we think of these people, I pray we, pray we just imagine what it would be like for them to receive you. What would that be like? How might they change? Jesus, would our hearts be burdened for them? But Lord, would it be burdened to action? Lord, would, we, would, would that, that fear, that, that enemy in our heads that's saying, you can't, you can't, you can't, be wiped out by your spirit and instead would we just trust wholeheartedly in your resurrection power? We thank you, Lord. Make it known. We know it's always been there, even for those who have been Christians their whole life. It's all, that resurrection power has always been there. We just might have been ignoring it, just putting it to the side. Bring it to the forefront of our minds, Lord. May it occupy our whole entire being. And Lord, we just pray. We just lift up your name as we sing this song, Lord. We just speak, we speak your name over our families, over our country, over... Yeah, over this, this earth, Lord, we just pray for you to come and do a work. We thank you, Lord, that you involve us in that. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing, um, I Speak Jesus. Let's just declare this. Let's worship him. Your name is power, your name is power. 
Travis was uh, sharing tonight, I couldn't help but just be reminded, uh, just even in the last few weeks, I've just had some opportunities just to be able to share with people around faith. And these aren't people that go to church or anything like that. But in every single conversation, I've just uh, thought, oh, here we go. Like as I, as I raise, you know, faith and Christianity, like how's this gonna play out? And in every single situation, I've been radically surprised the response of people, an, an absolute longing and are willing to, to talk about it and want to talk about faith and hear about uh, faith. And I think one of the things is, as Travis spoke about today, one of the fears is that how are people going to respond and what it's gonna, how's this going to play out? It's a, it's a big fear. And uh, I was reminded, uh, John Tyson has this great quote, because I reckon in our culture today, on social media, as Travis mentioned as well, television, there's this persona that, hey, don't want a bar of faith, don't want a bar of Christianity, all that sort of stuff. But I was reminded of this quote, John Tyson says this, he says, at a meta level, people around you are secular and cynical, but on an individual level, people are desperate for hope. And I am absolutely convinced that He is the hope of the world. And I reckon that's true, that a lot of people are seeking and longing for hope in our current climate, in our culture at the moment, and you are a carrier of that hope. Don't believe the lie for a second that people are disinterested and don't wanna talk about faith. I believe it's a lie from the pit of hell. People are interested because they wanna know, is there a hope to my life? And let me tell you, there is, there is. He says, He is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Before we go, I wanna pray for you because God's gonna use you this week wherever you are. Father, we thank You so much that You are the hope of the world. And Father, I pray that You would forgive us if we have believed a lie that people are disinterested and don't talk about this with anyone. I pray You'd forgive us, great God. We thank You that we are empowered by Your Spirit. And so when we feel weak and ordinary, it's when we're strong because it's Your empowerment in us that brings about the change and transformation that needs to take place. And so Lord, we just invite You to come and empower us for this week, that as we go our separate ways, You have sent us specifically to these universities, to these workplaces, to these schools, to these uh, very uh, streets in which we live. You've sent us there to speak and to be a agent for You, great God. And we thank You that You, we, you wanna use us in these spaces. We thank You, great God, that there is a longing for hope and there is a, a cultural environment where people are longing to hear and want to experience a transformation from the inner parts of their soul. Even right now, someone's listening online, even right now there's someone in this auditorium that says, I need a new life. I need a new beginning. I need a fresh start. And Jesus, You are the, you are the one, You are the only one that can bring a renewal of heart and a fresh start and a new beginning. And we thank You that You are the answer. We thank You that You are the hope. And we thank You that if, if any person in this room needs to know You, they can cry out to You right now and You answer that prayer every single time. And I wanna thank You as well, great God, 
that for everyone who does know You, we are carriers of this hope that we can go forth with the confidence that You are with us. You are with us, oh God. And I just sense we need to declare one more time the power of Jesus over our city, over our state, over our nation. And so church, would you be willing one more time to sing these words one more time, but from your heart, sing it as a prayer, sing it as a declaration tonight. Jesus over every single sphere of society. Let's sing it out. We shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Jesus, shout Jesus. This is our declaration, oh God. Why don't we give God just a hand? He's amazing. Let's give Him a clap. Father God, we worship and we honour You tonight and we declare that tonight, that Your Name might be famous over our schools, that Your Name might be famous over our universities, our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, great God, that You might be famous, Lord Jesus, we pray. We declare that tonight and we look forward to all that You wanna do, great God. You uh, Use us this week. Use us this week, empower us this week for all that You wanna do. We honour You and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen, Amen. Great to have you here tonight. Uh, God bless you as God uses you this week and uh, we'll see you soon.